Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. We are in our True Self series, which has been uh, such a joy just to uh, pull up a chair for a little bit and have discussions uh, with friends, confidants, comrades, mentors, village elders, people that I look up to. Uh, and today, joining us is one of those uh, in Mark Nepo. You know, we've had Mark on. I don't know, probably three, four, maybe five times now. And his work uh, has been such a gift to my life and to so many others. Um, you know, his Book of Awakening, anyone that's ever had that as a uh, daily or morning ritual knows the gift that that book was. And then so many others, Drinking from the River of Light, uh, The Endless Practice. I could go on and on, but I'm so excited to have him on today and just to chat through this mystery of what is the soul and the true self. And so with that being said, I'd like to welcome Mark Nepo back. Mark, thanks again for coming on. Oh, sure. It's great to be with you again. I love our conversations. I think this is a wonderful series you're offering. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, as you and I were talking about uh, before the call, you know, it's just, it's fun to get everyone to say, hey, we're all pointing at the moon. And we're swapping uh, words and metaphors and language, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure you have a handful of beautifully mysterious metaphors you'll share with us today. Well, um, uh, we'll see how they unfold. But let you know for for uh, your listeners who may not be familiar with that wonderful reference, uh, you know when Bo- the Buddha reference when Buddha was teaching under the moonlight one night to some of his his students and they were enthralled and he appreciated that but he stopped and he said he pointed to the moon and he said my teachings are only fingers pointing to the moon make sure you look at the moon yourself <laughs> uh, so good so good i didn't know that's where that originated by the way um, oh yeah 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 so good so um you know it's always clunky getting getting these intros going uh, about talking about soul and true self. So I, I, I just kind of want to, from the get-go, kind of strike the match and maybe see where we go um, and just kind of learn from you, like, um, just when you hear true self in that language, like what that means to you, what, what, what that has meant to you over the years, maybe even how that meaning has evolved over the years. Yeah, sure. So so let's in order to talk for me to talk about the true self, I need to back up a little and talk about the nature of spirit in life itself so we can see where the true self comes from and through. And and I would say that, you know, it has evolved probably not, you know, unusually uh, over my life, you know, when young the true self was I kind of measured it by, could I be integral? Was I clear? Were, were things thorough and uninterrupted and um, and steadfast from within me to out in the world? and And that certainly remains true as you know as a as a way to look and gauge and take inventory day to day. Am I being who I truly am? But the, of course, as as I've lived and grown and been worn open by life, while that is true as a barometer, my understanding, um, you know, you can look at a barometer and gauge the temperature, 
but that doesn't tell me the nature of weather. <laughs> so, you know, over years, I think I've started to begin to get some understanding, at least for me, of what the nature of spirit in life is. So, okay, so let's let's back up a minute and say that, you know, we, we are a living paradox. As a human being, we are this mix. The human is finite and limited, and the being is infinite. Hmm. And so we're like lightning in a bottle, <laughs> stumbling around on earth. <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, the urge and the humble the humble quest to to stay true in spite of our these natural limitations, you know, in a way, the metaphor for me of this kind of basic paradox is how, you know, like a hawk with its wet, with its wings spread, it flies hovering over the earth, but it doesn't it doesn't trouble itself with mountains and avalanches and broken roads and mm. bridges that don't that that you know have been that don't work you know it flies over all that it sees it and our spirit the infinite part of us is like that and you know the human part is very much like a horse or a person we have to walk the ground and while our spirit can say hey go over there well then when we start to go there oh the bridge is out, so we got to stop and rebuild the bridge. And the spirit says, "It's just over there." <laughs> so we are always, you know, in this this visionary place in spirit that is clear and patient. And this human, this human part of us, the human of the being, that has to go a step at a time over all the terrain of life. And so. You know, being a true self is, in one regard, is is meeting the challenges of the terrain while staying true to what our spirit sees. So let let me back up a little bit, and and you know, every tradition talks about about the soul, mm -hmm. spirit, by a thousand names. You know, in Hindu, it's Atman and, you know, Buddha nature and the Holy Ghost in the Christian tradition and, you know, Yahweh in the Jewish tradition and the friend in the in the Quaker tradition and, and uh, you know, the beloved in the Sufi tradition. It's just a thousand names. Mm -hmm. But let me let me use the Hindu tradition as because I think it's a, it offers us a clear way to see this relationship. And in the Hindu tradition, there is a, they have their own trinity, if you will. Among the many gods, we can look at the relationship of three, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And so Brahma is, is the unnameable, indivisible life force that's everywhere. It's like the air in the sky or the water in the sea or, you know, it's just there. And it's infinite, it never dies. And then Vishnu is the god of forms. So that infinite life force, indestructible, uh, it fills all the forms on earth. So a part of it goes into you and it becomes Ashton. And a part becomes me. And a part becomes my dog Zuzu who's sleeping next to me. And, 
and a part becomes the the river and the stone and this computer okay that we're speaking through and so all forms like the finite part of being human they don't last forever mm. a star will last thousands and thousands of years and the life of a butterfly will last a few weeks and we're in the middle and so all forms come to an end and when those forms dissolve then that life force that's indestructible goes back leaves the forms and goes back into the 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 brahma the state of brahma of the indestructible life force and the the god that governs the transformation back is shiva and shiva is known as the transformer but you know we in the west have translated it as the destroyer because you know if my form ends then i'm just i feel i'm destroyed so we mm. let the but but that you know in a felt way that makes sense but in the larger sense so so you see this and other traditions speak about this differently but this gives us a nice way to say life form you know is this indestructible life force everything goes into forms and um i'd let my dog out speaking of forms my wife is home, so she needs to get to that form. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so we, you know, there's the Hindu greeting, Namaste, that you may have heard of, which means I salute or honor the portion of the universal spirit that you carry. So now let's get to the true self. <laughs> Now the ground me, is set. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, for me, I, I've come to, you know, the way I live out the true self is that kind of barometer of integrity that we first spoke of. But my understanding of what this really is, my soul and my true self are the portion of universal spirit that I'm blessed to carry in the form that is me uh, while I'm here. So the question becomes for all of us, how do I be a good steward of the portion of universal spirit that I'm carrying while I'm here? And I think that, you know, when I, of course, being human, we take the garbage out, we trip, it spills, and I forget all that. <laughs> um, and and I and what's my practice of remembering? Oh, okay. At the deepest level, I am a container. I am a form that is carrying this part of universal spirit while I'm here. How do I renew my covenant mm. with that spirit? And that leads me into the terrain of the true self. That's good. I I I, I love those words. Um, you know, form keeps form and formlessness keeps coming back up in all of these conversations that I've been having, um, form container. Uh, I just wrote here what you were saying, the pattern of universal spirit that my form is here to carry. Am I quoting that right? Uh, the portion, the, the portion. portion, yeah, portion. 
Yeah. Yeah. What what is for how does form and formlessness for you kind of fit into this dialogue of the true self and the false self? I mean, I I, I I'm sensing you would align that the, the formless side of you is that true self. Well, yeah, and I would phrase it, and again, because we're just using words to try to approximate things that are hard to say, that for me, rather than form and formlessness, it's it's more the intangible and the tangible, or the, you know, the uh, the essence and the manifestation of it. Mm-hmm. So you all know how a, how like an iceberg, you know, most of it is under the water, and you only see the tip, break surface. And in a lot of ways, I've come to view the physical world as the tip of the iceberg, and the everything that's intangible that's invisible, all the life force, the spirit that fills every form is what's below the surface. And it informs everything, I believe, you know, and and there are many, you know, traditions to speak about this. You know, uh, one of the Sufi poets, Jili, J-I-L-I, has this amazing metaphor. He said, you know, the world can be understood as ice and truth the water it is formed from. Hmm. Yeah, the world could be understood as ice and truth, the water it is formed from. And, you know, in a different way, the indigenous people in Polynesia, in the New Hebrides, their understanding of mana, and, you know, mana has spelled two different ways. Mana, M-A-N-A, is the Christian and Jewish notion of mana being the bread. You know, Jesus talked about, here you need your daily bread, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to when the Jews were in the desert after leaving Egypt, they mysteriously had mana that appeared that would feed them, but it would only be fresh for the day. They'd have to remake it every day and so this becomes the notion of when when jesus says we all need our daily bread uh, you know what i take from that is you know him saying you know we all need inner food every day and there's an expiration it does expiration date it doesn't stay fresh therefore we have to stay every day in the practice of making and taking in inner food. But back back to the other mana, which is M-A-N-N-A, which the Polynesians and the the indigenous tradition there, they understood that as the numinous spirit that fills everything. That was their way of talking about Brahma, like what the Hindus spoke of, that this was, there was an invisible glowing emanating spirit that filled the rocks, the streams, the boats they built, the people, the wind. And and so you come into the 20th century and Carl Jung, the wonderful Carl Jung, he ran across this and he said, well, I want to I want to add a psycho spiritual definition to this. And he defined mana that emanating essence, that formlessness, that that kind of indestructible spirit. He said, 
I see psychomana psycho spiritually as the unconscious influence of one being on another. What what does that mean? Well, I think I think you know who knows, but what it speaks to me, what I have come to understand it is, when I am in my true self, when I am authentic, when I am being a good steward of the portion of universal spirit that I am carrying then that light emanates through me just like the sun. Hmm. And we all know that if there's nothing between the sun and, and us or plants or trees, everything grows to the sun. So when we, the unconscious influence of one true self on another is that we grow to each other, not, not by persuasion, debate, manipulation, control, but by being our true selves. I love that. I, I, I love the sun metaphor. Um, you know, being that uh, it's like we are not the stained glass. At some point, we are the light that shines through. Um, am I following you there with that metaphor? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what's so interesting to me is across all cultures, um, across all continents we've all for thousands and thousands of years have been trying to point to the moon have we not um it's like we've known that there's this inner something that wants to emerge that we want to that we want to live by and live from i guess it's probably the better word words well i think there. that I, you know i think that this brings up the notion because you know on, i i think there's a difference between incarnation and progress so we have been every generation gets its turn to explore these things to be true to be let the inner sun the spirit emanate through us to be a good steward of the portion of soul or spirit we carry and no one can do it for us mm -hmm. and, and and every generation every life gets their turn at, you know, that being the, the infinite, the human being, the infinite being in the human finite form. And so that's incarnation. Everyone has to deal with birth and death and love and trust and betrayal and uh, everything, trust and mistrust. Those are all, this is what Jung, I think, meant by archetypes. They're, they're passages that everyone goes through, though no Two people go through it exactly the same way. So in that regard, wisdom supports our turn. Wisdom is not a shortcut. We don't get to jump over any of these, these uh, passages. And that's different from progress. Mm -hmm. You know, pro progress in the outer world is where, you know, one generation starts off with the benefit of the last. So a, a simple way to understand this is uh, say that there is a tribe that has migrated and they come upon this, this vast mountain and there's a plateau and they want to settle and, and settle the tribe there. And so the adults of that generation, they clear all the trees on that plateau so that the village can settle there 
And every day when they wake up, everyone in that village, the first thing they see is the vastness of the universe. So the children that are born there, well, they don't have to clear the trees. It's already been done from them. That's progress. But the children waking and having these conversations and discovering what it is to live a true self and live a full life and an honest life, that's the same as their parents and their parents before them and the same as their children. That's incarnation. No one will save you or rob you from that journey. We all have to go through it. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's wisdom that supports that journey. I just took that note that you said. Talk, talk to me about wisdom supporting that journey. Well, we turn to, you know, like, well, while no one can go through it for me, I can get support from others who are living and who have lived before. Mm. So when I was going through my cancer journey um, years ago, you know, I had this loving support of people around me, but I also had the support, you know, particularly the Chinese poet Tu Fu from the Tang Dynasty. I just felt this deep connection and his work supported me. His voice, his true self across centuries supported me. So, so, but I had to go through what I was going through. Mm. There was no shortcut. And, and I think this raises too that you know, a difference in traditions in the West, because we've been so mental. Um, wisdom in the West has tended to uh, be un- become the understanding of truth leads to wisdom. But in the East, in the older traditions, it's the experience of truth that mm-hmm. leads to wisdom. Experiential knowing. Yeah. Yep. Way different than just reading the book and allowing that to then be the wisdom. You you actually you actually have to go through something and come out on the other side. Well, I think that that is the great teacher that leads to the true self is experiential wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, question on like your practices or your discipline to kind of consistently, I know none of us live in the true self 24 seven. Um, but what have you cultivated over the years? Do, Do you have any rituals or practices that either daily or weekly or however, however long that may be that, that, that you kind of give yourself to that have helped you stay in this place of patient, integral, clear, steadfast, et cetera. Yeah. So, so again, like when we started to give a context to some particular practices, which again, just work for me, everyone has to personalize them, you know, so there are examples, not instructions, but let me back up to just give a sense of the, the qualities or the spiritual, the spiritual human qualities that seem essential to inhabiting a true self so and then i can talk about how i try to do that in a daily way perfect so i would say the first thing i would want to bring up is that there are three at least three but three to come to mind 
enduring spiritual qualities that are always available to us. And these are the, the formless, if you will, equivalents of the elements like fire and water and air and earth, okay? And they are presence, meaning, and relationship. Presence, meaning, and relationship. So presence, which we hear a lot about, and every tradition has, you know, meditation practices help us regain presence. Being in the moment of love and compassion renews our presence. Um, you know, being honest renews our presence. But presence, what does presence do? Presence for me um, restores my direct experience of life. It reminds me in a real way how rare it is to be here at all. <laughs> and that, and again, like we were saying, nobody can stay in any of these places all the time because we're human. But we can return to them and we can stay devoted to them. So, you know, I... I can get derailed and clogged up and confused and, you know, off track. But presence returns me to remember, no matter how many times I can replay something or tape it or bookmark it on the computer and play it anytime I want, how rare it is to be here at all. Every moment is unrepeatable. And when I can remember that, I make different decisions. Hmm. I see differently. I would say then I see with the eyes of the true self. So presence, how do I, one of the ways that I do that daily is I try to hold nothing back and give my complete attention to whatever's before me until it starts to speak to me. So at least once a day, somewhere while in the midst of whatever I'm doing or where I'm going, if so, you know, we all have these moments when the light, even let's say on a piece of glass in an alley, stands out and gets our attention, we go, whoa, something's going on there. Well then, whatever it is, or you know, suddenly I see a deer on the side of the road and and the wind through its fur suddenly speaks to me. Well, whatever it might be, once a day, I try to stay with whatever gets my heart's attention and make a practice to stop what I'm doing and give all my effort and energy and presence to that until it starts to speak to me. In a practice, in a hope, that that presence will restore my sense of how rare it is to be here at all. So that's, that's present. Now, meaning, meaning, you know, there's a paradox here. I have to restore my direct presence to be in the true self. And yet life is so much more than just my experience. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm only left to my experience, oh boy, I'm in trouble. You know, that's where we become, you know, biased and prejudiced and insular. And we have a lot of that going on 
in an uncured way in our world today. So meaning is when I am present, I am open to the direct experience and presence of others. This raises the entire work of Martin Buber, the Jewish philosopher, yes. and his yeah. work, I Thou, I Thou, which, you know, one of the things I, I learned, which is a great, rather than getting into the whole philosophy of I Thou, it's really helpful to understand how he came upon it. Um, I read this wonderful, it's out of print now, but there was a, there was a press in the 50s and 60s called Open Court Press. It was out of Chicago. And they did a series for about 10 or 12 years. You can find it, some of them. They're fascinating. Where they invited leading thinkers, and whether they were scientists or philosophers or artists, to write a small book on the autobiography of their mind. And Buber wrote one. And so did Einstein. And so I think you can find these. They're just absolutely amazing. But I read the one that I read Buber's and it was not a philosophical tract. He was talking about the moments, like I mentioned, like the glass in the alley or the the moments that opened up everything to him and how he came upon the whole notion of I thou. He was walking with a walking stick in a field when a, at dusk when a storm came up and everything got really dark. He was near a big oak tree and and there suddenly was lightning and he could see where the oak tree was and then the lightning left and he couldn't see and he reached out with his walking stick to where he saw thought the oak tree was and he touched it and though he wasn't touching the oak tree he and we all know this if you do this with a stick he could feel the tree through the walking stick. Mm. And a light went off in him and he said, I understood, I, thou, yep. that the stick is the honest, unrehearsed dialogue between two authentic beings. That is when I can truly listen to you and you can truly listen to me, we will feel that that between us the illusion the, of separation vanishes. yes it's gone yeah. it's gone so you know how do i practice meaning every day well i try i try even if it's through tv you know um to feel one or with its others or if i'm out I mean, we're not out much these days, but we will again. If I'm in a cafe, if I'm in a restaurant, you know, to give my full being to another living soul, even if I don't talk to them, even if I'm watching them, until I can feel how rare it is that they're here. And I start to feel some sense of their aliveness. And, you know, this brings up one of the things, like I said, through TV. So... So what does that mean? Well, you know, I think one of the things that I remember back uh, when 9-11 happened and my wife and I were in, we were actually coming home from a trip in Montreal when we literally saw those planes go into the building on TV before we left the hotel in Montreal. And, um, and of course, you know, those images were 
replayed and replayed and replayed ad nauseum, you know, um, so painful, so hard to watch. And so this, this is the difference between presence and meaning. So in the modern world, the fact that we can, those images can be replayed all over the earth in, in actual time. That's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's meant so that a million people can see it once, not that one person can see it a million times. Mm. And part of our meaning and presence, part of that is, can I see whether it's horrific or beautiful? Can I take in one image or conveyance through media and when it touches my heart, turn it off. I don't, I need to be with what I've felt and not keep replaying it until it numbs me from the truth it has brought me. The third enduring quality of spirit is relationship. Everything in life is connected and everything is a function of relationship. And when we lose that connection, we suffer. We saw, you know, whatever we go through is twice as hard. Mm -hmm. And so part of the practice of the true self is to sustain, renew and repair the connections between things. And so let me tell a story about this, which is a, a Native American creation story. You know, here I live in Michigan and the indigenous tribe long before we were here um, is the Ojibwe nation. And like most indigenous uh, traditions, they have a constellation of creation stories that together speak about how everything was created. So this, this is the story of how the great spirit connected everything in the universe. So the great spirit was had created everything and was now contemplating, well, how do I, how do I connect everything? How do I pull it together? How do I make it all one living universe? When a little worm crawled up and said, oh, I can help. Well, the great spirit was surprised and looked down at the little worm and said, well, very well, little worm, help us. And so the little worm inched along and began to weave barely seeable silk threads from its guts. And sure enough, it began to connect everything in the living universe. And you know, if you've seen, I'm sure you have a, sp a great spider web in like an old barn or an old building somewhere, or even in the web of a tree. And you know, unless the light is on it, you can't really see it, you know? Well, in just that way, and when the light's on it, my God, it's this golden web. Well, in just this way, the great spirit leaned over all of creation and could see all the barely seeable silk threads that the worm had woven. It was fantastic. It was just beautiful. And the great spirit looked at the little worm and said, thank you, little worm. You have saved us, not by being great or brilliant, but by being true to your true and only nature. So in a way, the worm was being its true self. And so the great spirit looked at the little worm and said, I will let you live forever. 
well, the little worm was taken aback. And the great spirit could see this and leaned over and said, don't you want to live forever? And the little worm looked up and said, oh, father, I fear so many years if I can't grow. And the great spirit felt the wisdom of even one of his smallest creatures. And he says, very well, little worm. I will give you this ability to spin these barely seeable threads around yourself. And when you can stop spinning and threading and squirming and inching and you can be still long enough, you will know the lightness of being that I know. Go. And the little worm inched to the nearest branch and began to weave the very first cocoon and in time became the very first butterfly. Beautiful. Amazing, anonymous, ancient. And so what so stays with me in that story is that the worm spins these threads, not from his head, not even from his heart, but from his guts. Mm, yeah, the core. The core. And so, you know, we want to hear people who are afraid of this kind of inner work or true self work want to say, oh, all this is just, you know, that's just navel gazing. It's self-absorbed. Well, we can be self-absorbed, but true, authentic work, work of the true self when we do inner, real inner work, we are spinning the threads that hold the universe together. Mm. It's one and the same work. And it comes from honestly and courageously processing our experience through our guts. That's, so our job of relationship is to name, spin, and repair the connections between everything i love that and 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 when i hear that metaphor and that story um i think of true self being totally given totally received not something that we you know muscle up and produce um and yet in that gift and receiving of that gift also then totally given back to heal the world to connect the world to make the world a more beautiful and wholesome place, as you said. Yeah, so, so absolutely. Now, to translate all of that into just one, so, and I invite folks, you know, I, to do your own, personalize your own, but I try to keep three very simple vows every day, the way I start every day, as a way uh, to, as a way to try to embody presence, meaning, and relationship. And, and again, you can all you know, can make your own. So every day, I start every day. I did today. The first thing I do, I'm a morning person. My wife, who's a potter, is a night person. So I'm always up first. So the first thing I do is I open the blinds and let light in. The second thing I do is I take care of our dog. So I tend to something living. And the third thing I do is I make coffee for my wife before she gets up so that I do something for someone I love. So every day I start the day by letting light in, by tending something living and doing something for someone I have loved. Now, and that when I can do that and really be present to it, that changes whatever 
comes in the day Mm -hmm. that changes everything when I'm speeding through it when then it doesn't because I'm not present and this is the difference between ritual and habit when I'm present something as simple as opening the blinds can truly be letting light in when I'm not even the most the deepest ritual just becomes a habit Mm. and that's part of self the work of self-awareness is to recognize when it's slipped so we can restore it into a ritual you know the where I recently learned that the word ritual goes back to the Sanskrit arta rta which means visible order so ritual Ritual makes the order of the universe visible when we're present. When we're not, it's just it's just going through the motions. Ritual and intentionality, habit and no presence, no mind. Yeah. No heart. Yeah. And and again, not to blend this is this is like uh, inner geography. This isn't blame, <laughs> mm-hmm. blame or praise. Mm-hmm. This is when we recognize that, because we will, when we recognize that we're not present, we know what that feels like. So before we sink into that space, the work of self-awareness is to, and the work of a true self is to say, oh, oh, wait, wait, uh, th- this this was no longer meaningful. How do I get back? How do I get? Oh, I gotta. I've got to stop. I've got to give attention. I've got to listen. I've got to feel. What do I do? What's in my toolkit to restore presence, meaning, and relationship when I do spill the garbage and swear and it's all over the place and I got to pick it up and then I go, yeah, ritual. Who cares? <laughs> and I, and so much of your writing is about the return, right? Like I, I think over and over, you yes, you are that that remembering, that re knowing, that recognizing, um, the return back to the true self. I, I think that's been for me one of your great gifts that you've given is constantly awaking us up to those small moments, maybe when we've fallen asleep and we are in the false self, to well, gently you know, come back. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that is one of, it's one of my greatest learnings, which is why I, I keep going back to it, is that this humble, and we go back to the beginning about the human being being this mix of a hawk and a horse, or of the finite and the infinite, and that's the only path we have. We will fall down, not because we're stupid or evil or, you know, not worthy, because we're human. And so part of the spiritual journey is this return. Stand, You know, I, I can be committed to walk. If I'm committed to walking, it doesn't matter if I fall down because I'll get back up. That's the path. That's all of our stories. That's all. That's the path. That's the path. You know, one of the other returns is I I learned that the word respect 
Yeah, to look again. To look again. To look again. So when we do look again, we are respecting ourselves, and that will lead us back to the true self. If you had to say the true self is, dare I ask how you may phrase that? Well, and again, you know, it's just a partial (laughs) attempt. But um, I, I think that to go back, I think that true self is the portion of universal spirit that we are blessed to carry while we're here. And when I say true self, I would talk about rather than true and false, whole and partial. Okay, right on. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, you know, when we stay in the partial self, then we get invested and it can become false. But it's, you know, it's really when I'm when I'm true, I'm more whole. When I'm not, I'm more limited and partial. Mm-hmm. Fractured. I, and I would say this, I would say this, that that the true self I have experienced is the gateway to compassion. Mm. And so this brings up a real uh, journey of, of incarnation that every person alive faces. And, and it's a big one, and it's a beautiful one. And you'll recognize it right away. It's how do I stay who I am without putting up walls or shutting out others? Most of us in the life of sensitivity our apprenticeship is we, if we open our heart to others, we become our, their pain, we become their suffering, we become overwhelmed, or we might even drown in their pain and suffering. And then we go, well, if it's going to be like that, I'm done. And then we put up a wall or we put up a distance. And then we look from afar and say, well, I, I, I feel for you, but I'm not going there. So on the other hand, it seems like in order to stay who we are, we need to be sensitive. If if we're going to stay sensitive, how do we stay off unwanted influence? And I think the challenge of a true self, how do I stay who I am while letting others in? Hmm. How do I stay who I am and, and feel the others pain and joy and not become them so you know i i have friends who suffer different things we all do and i suffer and they're there for me but you know if i have i do i have a friend who suffers great anxiety and depression but i'm i have my own struggles but my struggles aren't that so how do i stay open to their struggles and remember that I'm not depressed and not anxious. So that requires me in a very practicing way to be open and be with them and keep them company. And then to make sure that I take a walk in the light and restore my direct connection to life. I'm not minimizing their pain, but I'm reminding myself that my pains are different. I'm, so how do I practice staying who I am without shutting down 
or pushing others away or drowning in their experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, no one, no one knows how to do this. We just take notes and uh, compare notes and, and learn. But I think this, this is part of the relational ground of the true self. Yeah. Yeah. And so those three qualities, uh, presence, meaning and relationship, I'm connecting some dots here and correct me if I'm a little off, but it's, it sounds like the great invitation is a life of compassion, both for you, both for yourself and those you've been entrusted. Absolutely. And this is where, you know, in different traditions, but in the Buddhist tradition, the notion of a bodhisattva, you know, the bodhisattva is a person who has, we can, if we want to, phrase it in terms of our conversation, I would say a bodhisattva is someone who has worked at being a true self so that in their integrity, they have right-sized their suffering. And in the Buddhist tradition, they have the opportunity to kind of leave the realm of being dominated by suffering, but the bodhisattva chooses to wait for others to find the same peace and acceptance. And because no one will ever find that, the bodhisattva is accepting life is being a spirit in a body and time on earth. Heaven is here. And so I'm not going to go somewhere else. I'm going to stay here in the midst of all of this mess and beauty and wonder and keep each other company mm. through a life of compassion. Love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. <laughs> as yourself. And so the so, great... Yeah, go ahead. Well, so, you know, as we think about all this and, and you know, my invitation to those who are with us um, is to trust your heart. You know, the word trust literally means follow your heart. So, so let me open up a couple of things around this. And so trusting your heart means that like those moments, whether they're in nature or in the city or with other people, you know, I, I recently wrote, let me just stop. I recently wrote this poem about how when I was young, I had all these plans, <laughs> wonderful plans, grand plans, and they were always being interrupted by the calamities of life. And I was always annoyed that my plans were interrupted. Um, and I used to pride myself that how quickly I could get back on track with my plans. And the more I loved and the more I suffered, the more I was interrupted by the needs of others. Until finally, life unrehearsed and unscripted made Swiss cheese of all my plans. And now, now I am naked of all plans and I pray that each day I will find love and suffering to heal and give before the sun goes down. And that, that is all a true self can ask. It's beautiful. 
Absolutely beautiful. So where does this leave us? Where, where, how would you, as maybe somebody that is um, fairly new, they, they've just started to hear this idea of the true self. Um, they're awakening to the inner light. Um, how would you encourage them as they move forward to... Uh, I, when I started these interviews, I would, I would use words like hold, uh, hold the true self. And I'm learning, you just dance with it. You can't hold this thing. Um, uh, you can't put your thumb on it. it it's, it's a mystery, and yet I think it is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, um, experience we as humans can have here on earth. Yeah. So, so I would offer it this, this way. Um, and I would talk about it as that one of the indicators or like a, like a Geiger counter or a tuning fork uh, that has, that I've learned, I, that, that I've learned over time is an indication that I'm, I'm close to the true self is the sweet ache of being alive. And at an early age, like many people, because our, our culture is afraid of that, I was miseducated about it. You know, when I first felt the sweet ache of being alive, I mistook it as sadness. And, and the first thing which other people encouraged me was, well, get rid of it. You don't want to be sad, be happy. Come on, cheer up. And I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get rid of it. And then I started to think, well, something's wrong with me if I can't get rid of it because I'm not supposed to be sad. But the sweet ache of being alive, which is neither happy nor sad, is part of that, that indication that we are living in the true self that we are feeling in a way the sweet ache of being alive remember those threads that the worm connected to everything well we're all connected and when one of those strings is tugged we feel that sweet ache because the tug goes right through our the string goes right through our heart mm. so when i am tugged by the universe the sweet ache of being alive is a holy signal it's not just sadness so i would pay attention to the sweet ache of being alive and 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 let me let me share as a way to kind of bring this part of our conversation i you know to a close a poem about that and and again thank you ashton for this wonderful series this is such an important topic it's not abstract as you can see it's important for everyone to inhabit and explore their own relationship to the universe through their true self. And so this is a poem called The Moment of Poetry. I'll read it twice, it's short. When the sweet ache of being alive lodged between who you are and who you will be is awakened, befriend this moment, it will guide you its sweetness is what holds you. Its ache is what moves you on. The moment of poetry, 
When the sweet ache of being alive, lodged between who you are and who you will be, is awakened, befriend this moment. It will guide you. Its sweetness is what holds you. Its ache is what moves you on. Give me a clap for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Standing ovation. Um... That's it, the true self, the guiding light between who we are and who we are becoming. Um, so well said. Um, well, gosh, Mark, I'm, I'm so grateful for you to share your insight on this. I love the new language. I have a page of notes here. Um, and uh, it's, I, I, I'm hoping that for all of us that have tuned into this series that... Um, you know, the mystery of the true self isn't that it cannot be known, but that it's infinitely knowable. Um, and, and day by day, we turn the page and get to know ourselves more and more. And we receive that as a gift. And from there, we return it again as a gift to the world. And, and um, you have been such a light for that in my life. I know for so many of our listeners. Um, and I do say namaste to you. Uh, oh, the, the divine in me absolutely recognizes the divine in you. So thank you for all, all that you've done and always for joining us. Oh, th- thank you, Ashton. It's a joy, a total joy. Well, you've always got the mic here. So you just, you know, any anytime you get the itch to come back to Good, True, and Beautiful, you just keep us on speed dial and, and we'll we'll hand the mic <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's sure. I, I welcome it. And you stay in touch with, with Eileen and I'm happy to happy to do that. Uh, and when you um, talk to Parker, give him my love, and um, he's he's going to have amazing things to share with you. And um, he's a master. And yeah. ask him ask him about the tragic gap. The tragic gap. Okay. Yeah. Tragic gap. Yeah. He's has he's just that's one of his amazing insights into this work. Right on. Right on. Well, thank you again, my friend. Um, super grateful for you always sharing time and your generosity with us. And uh, maybe we can regroup sometime this year and have you on again. That would be wonderful. All right, my friend, have a great evening. All right. You be well. Okay. See you, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.